When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Stats fans, welcome to another episode of the Her Hoop Stats Unplugged podcast. I'm Megan Gower, as always, and in case you're new, this is the more lo-fi edition of our Monday counterpart with John Little. If you haven't listened to this week's yet, Kathy Engelbert, the new commissioner of the WNBA, was on it, so definitely go check that out. Um, and I'm here today with Jen Hatfield. Hey, Jen. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. We're both in pretty good moods because the uh, WNBA finals are set and it's the Sun versus the Mystics. So both of our teams are in it, which is always a good feeling, but quite a bit of games to talk about since last week's episode. Um, we've had games two, three, and four in the case of the Mystics um, of the WNBA semifinals went down last week. Uh, the MVP was announced. The, the Lano Deladon happened last week since then, too. So all pretty exciting stuff. Um, so, yeah, going back all the way to last Thursday was the like game twos of the finals, which was in uh, Connecticut and in Washington. Any thoughts on those games? I know you were live at the Washington one, which is always exciting. Yeah, I was there uh, for game two, games one and two actually for Washington, both of which DC won behind big performances from Emma Meeseman. So that was really exciting to watch. Um, but the Aces definitely made things interesting. Both games were back and forth, lots of ties and lead changes, and it was it was all very exciting, but also extremely nerve wracking. And I'm sure it was the same in Connecticut. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think you had some closer games than Connecticut and LA. Outside of the first game, I think the LA um, Connecticut games were pretty spread out, so a little bit less nerve wracking, not like down to the wire, um, but still always fun to watch. Yeah, I bet the finals will will have their fair share of close games too. Uh, you know, top two seeds making it through and this is going to be, you know, Connecticut hasn't probably received the respect it thinks it deserves. And, and a lot of us think it, it deserves, but it's the top two seeds. This is going to be a, a heavyweight matchup. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I love their campaign with like the disrespect um, logo and all the like videos and stuff that Connecticut has been putting out. I think they've been great on social media all season long, but this kind of just like tops it off. I'm like dying for one of the disrespect t-shirts, but trying to hold out in case they win it all because I need to not buy so many t-shirts. Um, but yeah, that definitely. My predicament here in Washington too. We've got um, a masked shirt with mass with the ED being Elena Deldon EDD for her mask. So that one's pretty cool. And there's a 50, 40, 90 shirt for Elena's 50% field goal, 40% three-point shooting and 90% free throw shooting record but so it's hard to choose even between those two but I'm I'm trying to hold out (laughs) yeah I know it's always hard to be like okay but there's gonna be more gotta wait but yeah her 50 40 90 is insane I think she's officially the first WNBA player to do so which is amazing um, I can't believe that there was two people that didn't vote for her for MVP for first. I was, I'm still falling out of the water by that because I really just don't even think it was a contest. Amazing season from her, and she's continued to be consistently amazing for the Mystics in the playoffs so far, too. I think a big part, obviously, of why they were able to win the series against the Aces was just how well she played in all of those games. Natasha Cloud approves this message. (laughs) She's been very, very public about her support for the MVP, and that's been kind of a fun backdrop to everything going on here in Washington. And and I totally co-sign everything you said as well. One of the crazier things that that I think a lot of people don't know is that there are statistical minimums for how many shots you need to take to qualify for the 50-40-90. I forget what they are offhand, but but they have them in the NBA and they have them in the WNBA. And if you take those minimums off, there are, of course, a few players that have done it, mostly players who take like 10 shots in a season. But Emma Meeseman actually did it this year, but didn't uh, shoot enough. It was either three-pointers or free throws to qualify since she was overseas with Eurobasket and missed 11 games. So that's kind of a... And, and Shea Petty, who, who didn't take very many shots at all this season, uh, she also managed to do it in like in a way that doesn't qualify but but it's still a kind of fun trivia nugget yeah definitely and really impressive for me because it's not someone that like only took 10 shots this season so it's still really incredible that she was able to do that and also I think we know how good the Mystics offense has been all season but I feel like the fact that they have two players that did that just speaks volumes to how great that offense has been yeah definitely they've I, I've been spoiled covering them live their offense is is consistently a joy to watch. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like a lot of a lot of airspace has been devoted to talking about the Mystics offense, and rightfully so. But but Connecticut's got a pretty good offense too. Um, so what about them is going to be a problem for the Mystics? You think? 
Um, I think a big thing about Connecticut is they just have, I mean, also true with the Mystics, but they have, you know, their five starters all really are capable of scoring the ball in a lot of different ways. Um, and all, anyone, one of them can have a big night uh, for their offense, which is, I think, important. Um, you also have John Cole Jones, who's uh, like, I don't think she's like 6'5". I forget exactly what her height is, but a 6'5 center that can also step out and take a three. Um, so just kind of like a really insane range of skills there. And then I think the biggest thing for me in the playoffs, though, has been like you expect Junkle Jones to put up a lot of points. You kind of expect the defensive toughness of Alyssa Thomas every night, but the guards have been absolutely outstanding for the Sun in the playoffs. Um, not that they haven't been all season as well, but I think it really stood out in the L.A. series, especially when you have like Chelsea Gray on the other side of the floor, which Connecticut did an awesome job defensively on. Um, but you probably like if you looked at those rosters from step a step back you wouldn't have picked Connecticut's guards or most people wouldn't have picked Connecticut's guards to kind of you know be the ones that are leading the charge there and they really did in that series which I thought was incredibly impressive I think they outscored uh, LA's guards by quite a bit every single game um in the last game I think I mean Jasmine Thomas and Courtney Williams almost outscored or it was Sunday's game I think they almost outscored the entire Sparks which is insane um, so that yeah. is incredible. Yeah, definitely. Well done, Connecticut. I can <laughs> get behind that. Um, but this this guard matchup in the finals is going to be fascinating because you've got on both sides you've got all defensive team guards in Jasmine Thomas and then uh, Natasha Cloud and Ariel Atkins, and then they can all also score. Like Christy Tolliver officially took her knee brace off halfway through Game Four, so I think we can say she's back. Um, you know, there's just a lot of a lot. Of, Courtney Williams can really light it up. Uh, that's going to be something to watch for sure. So, so that that guard matchup, I think, might might end up being the undercard for most people to the Jonquil Jones, Elena Deladon, Emma Miesman type front court battles. Alyssa Thomas too should be mentioned in there. Um, but I think the guard play is going to be fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that a lot. Both teams have fantastic guards. It'll be fun to watch them kind of match up um, in a way that we haven't in a while because I don't think Connecticut and Washington have played each other since it was like July maybe. So it's been a while since they've played. So it's going to be fun. If I have it right, I think it was June like 29th, I believe, was the the, (laughs) 30-point game. It was the last Saturday in June, which is crazy. Like I wonder how how the WNBA does its schedules and if there's if there's a possible way to make these things more more balanced um, in the future. I'm sure it's difficult with all the competing demands, but but it's it's basically a whole new a whole new season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they haven't played since June 29th, by the time they play on Sunday, it's literally almost three months since they played each other. So. And that was like a 40 point aberration. Like, Sun fans shouldn't be worried about that. Mystics fans should not put any stock in that. Yep. <laughs> so, we kind of wiped that slate clean. And then, one of the other games they played, Elena Deladon didn't play. So, like, throw that one out too. Like, yeah. There's just not a lot of data here to go on. Exactly. Yeah. Not a lot of data at all. And then, even if you could go on it, it was still three months ago. So, how much does that really mean anyway? So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, really think it could go either way. It's going to be a fun series. As much as it'll stress me out, and I'm sure stress you out if it goes to five games, I kind of hope we get five games. 
and I hope the Sun win, but I know you hope the Mystics win. So <laughs> I can get behind five games, so, so it might take a, a few years off my life. Yeah. Uh, I think this is also going to be fascinating from the perspective of getting a first-time champion. Yeah, agreed. Neither of these programs have won a championship before. Um, and then Washington's coming back to the finals for a second straight year, so definitely hungry for that, as are the Sun, obviously, with their playing, as Courtney Williams and I would all say, a bunch of role players did this. I think I saw that they made shirts that said that, too. ESPN. Love it when you rile up the opponents like that. Really helpful. <laughs> and then you've got the storyline, too, of Coach Tebow for Washington going against the team that he used to coach in Connecticut, and he's still got a lot of great great relationships over there from the looks of it. Um, it was It was kind of uh, interesting to watch him when when Connecticut played here pregame. He was just, you know, in his element. He knew basically all the former players and was super happy to see all of them. And it was it was kind of strange for something that's kind of building into a pretty decent rivalry to look so friendly, you know, 90 minutes before tip-off. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. And yeah, it'll be uh, Coach Stevolt's first championship too if he gets it. Um, so that's also exciting. A lot of first potentially coming. So yeah, definitely going to be an exciting series coming into it for the Mystics. Any thoughts on like who the X Factors are, like who really needs to step up for them to get the championship this year? Yeah, for Washington, you know, everyone knows who Elena Deladon is. She's the MVP. The secret's out on Emma Misaman after what she did to Vegas. Um, so I think I think two of the big X factors are going to be one Ariel Atkins, who has really struggled so far in the postseason, but in last year's postseason was really awesome for Washington and was a big reason that they got to the finals. So I think she's kind of due to break out. And then Latoya Sanders, who is six foot two and was guarding six eight Liz Cambage for the entire Vegas series and managed to at least frustrate her, if not completely stop her, and, and ultimately did enough to to um, get the Mystics to to the finals, in, including on the offensive end. She hit several wide-open jumpers uh, when the Aces decided to kind of pick their poison. So her continued play against Jonquil Jones, she'll have that height disadvantage again, but you know, she's 33, she's a vet, she knows, she knows how to deal with these things, and she'll need to. What about you for Connecticut? Um, I think for Connecticut, one person that's interesting to me is uh, Shakina Strickland. She's had a kind of quiet playoff so far, but we all know that she can hit three-point better than or as good as anyone in the league. I mean, she won the three-point contest this year. So I think a big thing is going to be is she can step up an office on as well because the Mystics have so many offensive weapons. I think the Sun really need everyone to be involved um, in this series. And then another one for me is more of a like collective of Connecticut's bench. They really haven't done much for Connecticut so far in the playoffs. And luckily they haven't had to, but I think in the case that Connecticut's starters get into foul trouble, they're going to need someone to come in and step up. And I'm interested to see who that person's going to be. Um, I think uh, Bria Holmes has been one of their best players off the bench all season long, so she seems poised to be the one to do that but it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out 
Yeah, and Washington's had kind of that, they, they call themselves the bench mob all year, so they really take a lot of pride in their bench. But it's interesting to kind of watch how the substitutions pa- pattern, how the substitution patterns change in the playoffs. You know, coaches tend to shorten their benches, and it's it's all about can you make an impact maybe in fewer minutes or a slightly different role than you played during the regular season. And so on on paper, you might give the edge here to Washington's bench, but it's really going to be who can maximize what minutes they get. Exactly. And I think I think aerial powers for Washington is is fairly similar to Bria Holmes as as a strong offensive option, athletic, able to push the pace. So those two guarding each other could be just a fun matchup of like on like um, that could be that could be fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think that would be a fun benchmark matchup to watch. Um, and then Another one for the Sun, too, that is kind of a newer addition to the team, but Nishisha Heidemann. I think every time that she doesn't get a lot of minutes, but when she does get minutes, she does a good job of like using them to her advantage and really doing, uh, being effective with those minutes. So I think if she gets some time off the bench, she'll be exciting to watch as well. I'll also be curious to see how Teresa Plaisance is used, given that Coach Miller said that he acquired her in part to be able to have that shooting veteran big off the bench that can compete with players like Miesemann for Washington or Tiana Hawkins um, or Dierka Hamby for Las Vegas. So like he, he specifically said that he thought his bench needed another piece to compete with some of the other teams. And, and here's kind of his chance to, to have that payoff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then one more on the bench for Connecticut. It's also I'm interested to see. I've Lasia Clarendon has I think officially been declared active. So even though she was supposed to be out for the season, is potentially could play. So it'll be interesting to see if we get to see her at all in the final series. Um, I don't know. You know, she's coming off of pretty long term injury for the season. So kind of uh, shape she's in will be interesting to see. But would be a really strong bench presence for the Sun if she's up to speed and can play for them during the series. Yeah, that'll definitely be fascinating to watch and just seeing how long it would take her to get her feet under her and, and you know, particularly going from not playing to the finals is, is a bit of a tricky adjustment. And if, if they weren't playing Washington, she could ask Christy Tolliver for advice because Christy Tolliver just did this with the semis. But, um, you know, that'll definitely be interesting to watch because like like Tolliver is for Washington Lasia Clarendon can definitely be it can make a huge impact can be that expector so so that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on definitely anything in particular you think is like key to the games for the Mystics to really um, what they need to do to be able to beat the Sun one thing is they're gonna have to do a better job than LA did of stopping Alyssa Thomas and, you know, in, in theory, you should be able to do it because you know that she's going to drive on offense. She's she's not going to take the outside shot right now with with her shoulder injuries and um, just just her style of play. But but knowing what she's going to do and stopping it are two different things. And so DC is going to really have to lock in on the defensive end. And then I think I think for them getting out and, and running in transition more than they were able to do with Vegas, they, they didn't have a lot of runouts, even though. Uh, they were one of the best teams in the league in in terms of turning opponents over, getting steals in the regular season. There wasn't a lot of that um, against the Aces, so I think that 
if they're able to generate a little bit more defensive pressure and some runouts, they can alleviate some of that game pressure that they faced in uh, in the series against the Aces. Yeah, definitely. I agree with all of those. Um, I also think that like for the Mystics, it's important to like not. I think one thing that LA ran into against the Sun was they took a lot of like jump shots and weren't really driving to the basket a lot and. If they have the talent to be doing that, they should be because if you can get any of the Sun starters into foul trouble, you definitely have a much better chance if you have to take one of them off the floor. Because, like I said, the bench is like it's a question of who's going to step up, and it's their bench hasn't been the strongest all season long. Um, so anything you can do to get one of those um, starters off the floor is an advantage for their Washington. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to call the officiating an X factor in, in any playoff series yeah. lately. And, and so we'll have to keep an eye on, on what happens there for sure. Yes, also that. Oh, what was it? I think I don't know, there's been a, so many situations that I'm just like, I can't believe that just happened from the refs. It's been, yeah, it's never fun. We'll have a, we'll have a ref tracker and a technical <laughs> foul tracker. With, with the Vegas series, it was... It was who's going to get teed up first, Bill Lambier or Liz Cambage or Mike Tebow. And then in, in, in this series, it's I guess the most likely culprits are probably Tebow and Kurt Miller and Christy Tolliver and Alyssa Thomas. <laughs> yeah, right? that would be my picks too. It'll definitely be interesting to see. <laughs> Hopefully we just won't have any big like refing uh, scandals that are deciding games at all. Um, yeah, hopefully not. That's that's definitely the worst case outcome for, yeah. for all involved, I think. Including definitely us. agreed. Right. So we've talked a lot about the finals, but um, going back to the semifinals, I wanted to bring up the Sunday game between Connecticut and L.A. There's been a lot of buzz swarming around that, kind of a lot of surprise. Candace Parker only played 11 minutes. Um, I think they talked about it on the jump this week afterwards about the – coaching strategy from Derek Fisher with one sitting Parker for most of the game and then he also pulled pretty much all of his starters really early on in the fourth quarter um do you have any thoughts on that yeah I I saw Jackie McMillan talk about it on ESPN and, and she was pretty critical of that last bit in particular the the pulling the starters and and for me I mean I I certainly have no idea what was going through Coach Fisher's mind there, and I think he got a lot of pushback on Twitter and just a lot of criticism overall. And you know, I think what was what was even more surprising to me was just how flat LA looked. And I mean, some of that might have been that they weren't playing in their home arena, the Staples Center. That's a whole other story. But um, if if people haven't heard about that, they they could not play at their home arena because. Uh, the Emmys were being hosted right nearby, and so they got they got booted down to Long Beach, which is an hour away. And so they're on this this college court. It's got volleyball lines all over it. The stands don't look super full, which is in sharp contrast to Staples, which has great attendance. I think they lead the league in attendance. Um, and and the Sparks just came out flat. If if we're if we're making puns, they didn't have a spark. Um, so that was really surprising to me. And and I mean, I think. Coach Fisher hasn't been shy all season about kind of plugging and playing and seeing if he can get things rolling. And he he just seemed to kind of decide earlier than probably a lot of us would have 
that Candace Parker wasn't going to be the solution that day. And, you know, I'll be curious to see if, if we find out any more about this story. It seems like people were doing a lot of just like scrutinizing, scrutinizing body language and which I'm not sure is the most reliable thing to assess right after your season ends. Um, you know, Candace Parker could have been upset for, for a million reasons besides, besides her lack of playing time. So, so, yeah. so we'll see what comes out of that, but yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with all of that. Um, I think, of course, definitely did not help that they were not at their home arena. I'm kind of surprised that they couldn't find a better solution than like Long Beach. Maybe, I don't know, like, it seems like if UCLA wasn't using Poly Pavilion that night, that would have been a way better solution than all the way down in that gym in Long Beach. But that is what it is. But great, a lot of screw. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard too that, that maybe the game could have gotten pushed to Monday, um, but that. I think it was the league that wasn't supportive of that. And, and that seems like a fairly easy solution too. you know, if, if you can, if you can move things back a day to give somebody their home arena for, um, for a must win game. I, I think that's, that's pretty cut and dry. It's, it's how they appear to do contingency planning in the NBA from what I understand. So, so I wish they would have gone with that option, particularly because I was still brooding after, after the, the Mystics lost to the Aces and was not, was not quite ready to see Connecticut just paste Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, definitely a fair point as well. It definitely could have been moved. Or, yeah, there had to be, I feel like, a better solution than what was decided. Um, yeah, and that, that was something that Derek Fisher talked about post-game too um, in his remarks. And, you know, that kind of speaks volumes that after after your season ends, it's important enough and kind of egregious enough that you feel that you have to address the arena and and not, you know, some of the millions of other things he could have talked yeah, about. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it is upsetting to watch, like, a playoff professional game in that kind of environment. It would be like if you had Liberty make the playoffs and you had them playing in, like, the Westchester County Center for a playoff game. It would be upsetting to watch um, and definitely worth addressing, even though that it is their home court. I've been in that arena before, and it's it's not what you would expect for a professional arena at all. Um, yeah, and I mean, I mean, it's not always the worst thing ever. The Mystics played last postseason um, out, out of what was then their home arena because of conflicts with the venue which hosts a bunch of other events and so they played in college gyms but the difference was they weren't an hour away and the mystics packed them uh so the semifinals were at george washington university which is relatively close and it was a very small gym and it was an extremely loud gym and um and then the finals were at george mason which is a little further away but also much larger and they were able to pack that too and and you know it's not ideal for the players at all but um and, and, you know, they would have certainly loved to play in their home arena, but, but even that's better than, than an arena at Long Beach, which not to pick on Long Beach, but just wasn't really working. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Not to pick on Long Beach at all, but it's just not situated to serve that purpose, um, and especially an hour away and L.A. traffic on top of that. So definitely not an ideal situation for... Um, the Sparks to be playing in, especially in a need-to-win situation. Um, but going back to the Derek Fisher, uh, the coaching, I definitely got a lot of criticism. I know, to me, obviously, he knows way more about coaching than I do, but it seems 
crazy to me that you would only play Candace Parker 11 minutes in an elimination game. Even if she wasn't having a great night, she's still Candace Parker. And I feel like 11 minutes on the court is like barely enough time to get into like any sort of a rhythm or really make an impact. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It just seems like an uphill battle to me to try to win a elimination game in a playoff series without one of the, I think, unanimously agreed upon like greatest players of all time um, on the court. Yeah, it also just it also just like isn't a good look to the rest of the team either. If you know, if if they realize, oh, you know, he's not putting Candace back in, it, it it looks a lot like he's giving up. And and I don't think that's necessary. You know that that's not on its own a reason to put her back in. You know, if if she's if she's really playing terribly, and maybe maybe other options are best. But you don't want to send that message at all that you've you've given up, and there is a risk of that. Yeah. And I think that message got sent kind of even worse optically at the fourth quarter when he sat most of the starters from near the start of the half or near the start of the quarter. I mean, um, I mean, I know they were down by 20, but 10 minutes is still a lot of time and you don't know what could or couldn't happen if you go on you know, a 10 point run, all of a sudden you're back in it. So I definitely thought that that was an interesting decision. And even if I'm sure it wasn't the intention to look like you were giving up, but it definitely had that optics. Yeah, uh, Brian Agler was was on the uh, halftime show. He was in the studio for ESPN yesterday during the game, and and they asked him about LA. And you know, uh, WNBA Twitter is is collectively on the edge of our seats. Of what's he going to say? And and he he very diplomatically said something along the lines of, you know, I I was surprised he he took the starters out, and I thought they had one more run in them, and. I, you know, I, I think that that kind of that sums it up. You know, he he also spoke glowingly about his former players. So so for those who aren't acquainted, Brian Angler is the, is the coach of Dallas. Uh, but before this season, he was the coach of L.A. And so he he talked about Chelsea Gray and Neko Gwumake and Candace Parker and, and called them champions um, and, you know, didn't didn't want to too heavily criticize another coach at all. But but did say that that he, too, was was surprised by the decision to to wave the proverbial white flag that early. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Neka Gumake is, you know, I'm, I'm also a prior MVP. Someone that's definitely capable of going on like a 10 run by herself if she's feeling something right. I, know, I thought it was a very strange decision as well. I mean, I realize that 20 points is a really large gap to close in a quarter, but... Yeah, it was it was it was definitely interesting, and then and then kind of the the contrast was was amplified a little bit if if you were watching the doubleheader because we'd just come off the Vegas DC game where Liz Cambage made her post game comments that Washington needed to get in the weight room to keep up with her and and not be not be so uh, critical, I guess, of of some missed officiating calls that allowed Cambage to to really have her way with Washington uh, and so that really added fuel to the fly, the fire of that series and then and then we had Connecticut just just blowing out Las Vegas and and it was just kind of an entirely yeah, different tenor I did love I think there was a video yes from yesterday's game after Washington uh, won and was moving on to the finals of Natasha Cloud doing some push-ups which I thought was hysterical um, <laughs> 
Yeah, she she lifted up her shirt even at half court, and some of the players were like <laughs> were like hitting her abs, and then she like dropped to the floor and did like three push ups. And someone in the huddle, I think, was like, "Oh my gosh, gosh, like what are you doing?" But you know, that's Natasha Cloud. She was she was playing, and and she knew she knew what she was doing, and and she was just she was just enjoying herself and the fact that they were going to the finals and. I don't think there's anything yeah, wrong with that. No, I feel like this final matchup is going to be so fun because you have two of the like best like hype up players in the league between Natasha Cloud and Courtney Williams. Like it's going to be so much fun to watch the like pregame and postgame content. Hopefully, we'll get a bunch of it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to watch that. I think we need everyone mic'd up. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would love to have like Courtney Williams or Natasha Cloud mic'd up during a game. It would be awesome. Chris Oliver <laughs> would be would be great yeah, too. Awesome. You you might have to bleep a few things out from anyone mic'd up, <laughs> but you know, because because people people get on it. Um, there was there was definitely a moment in yesterday's game where you could I, I genuinely forget who it was, but but you could you could read the lips of some swear words coming out. Uh, and someone was upset that they got fouled. So so there's always that risk. But but ESPN, if you're listening, I implore you, please mic up everyone instead of doing these weird like in-game sideline interviews when the players should really be in the huddle. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I did like they had, uh, at least in what I was able to watch up yesterday's game, they had Tebow mic'd, uh, mic'd up during the huddles, which was fun to listen to. You kind of get like a interesting perspective that you don't really get if you're like at the game um so i thought that was pretty neat yeah definitely and you know going back to Derek fisher for a second they had him mic'd up too and it was just kind of shocking how he had to implore his team like just to play hard and compete and you know that's that's not really i'm not i'm not saying that to knock fisher i'm just saying that to say wow you know like a coach shouldn't have to coach effort in the playoffs um, and we never would have really known that if if the coach wasn't mic'd up. So that's where it can provide a, a really interesting perspective. I just um, my jury is still out on the players in the middle of the game because that just seems rough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, that is like an interesting thing you don't usually expect for a coach to be coaching up effort, especially in a like you know elimination game of all games. They're not up like two zero or something where like they have cushion. You wouldn't expect that there would need to be any effort coaching in that situation. Yeah, I, I do love hearing all the coaches' different styles, though. You know, like ev- everyone runs their huddles differently, and it's it's so fascinating, particularly for for coaches that you're less familiar with. You know, like I, I pretty much know how Mike Tebow coaches now from from being at the games all summer, but you know, seeing being able to to hear how Bill Lambeer coaches his huddles or how Derek Fisher does it or. You know, I think that's a really, really interesting experience for fans. Yeah, definitely. So one thing I noticed while watching the Washington-Las Vegas game last night was on Twitter, the Connecticut Sun was having some fun uh, poking at how, how they had swept and essentially had nothing to do but watch the game and eat snacks. They were They were tweeting about about how good goldfish and pretzels were together while the rest of us were were freaking out on Twitter and it was actually very funny. I encourage everyone to to go look at what the Sun have been doing this this postseason because their Twitter has been very sassy and I'm here for it. Um, but that that begs the question, what is your favorite snack food while watching a game 
let's say, on your couch, so you have access to a full range of snack food. <laughs> I think I'm, like, pretty classic. My go-to is popcorn. Um, always just pop, regular popcorn. Um, but also, if it's a game that's going to be stressful, definitely a glass of wine, too. Need something to <laughs> help with that stress. <laughs> that what about you? There. I have quite a sweet tooth. Um, and my, my tastes change fairly regularly, but lately I feel like chocolate covered pretzels are a really clutch snack. You get the salty and the sweet. And so that's what I'll pick for now. But if you ask me like in three days, I might pick something else. Yesterday I did have a little bit of ice cream at halftime to kind of help me through. In lieu of wine, I didn't have any wine. So it was ice cream. At, at the stadium, I think I'd go with Jumbo Pretzel. Oh, yeah, definitely. Jumbo Pretzel is, like, by far the best stadium food, in my opinion. But, I mean, just straight bread. I, I will take carbs all day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we have for tonight. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, as always, if you have any suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us at podcast at herhoopstats dot com via email or at her hoopstats on twitter um, we also hope that you'll rate like uh, and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you're listening and as always if you like the content that we're putting out here and our stories on social media please go check out the site at her it's her hoopstats dot com um, the ncaa season is coming up quickly and you'll have all your stats that you need for the season there and it's just twenty dollars a year to or, to subscribe so definitely go check that out thanks jen for joining me thanks for having me